take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 14, and we'll pick up uh, the reading in verse 13 of Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, starting in verse 13, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know I'm convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what is uh, for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace, enjoying the Holy Spirit. For he who in this way serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. And do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. It is good not to eat meat or, or to drink wine or to do anything uh, by which your brother stumbles. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction uh, before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. We're coming back tonight again to this 14th chapter, and we're looking at the dangers to unity in the body of Christ. The dangers to unity in the body of Christ. And last time we looked at the issue of uh, falling, uh, failing to accept one another as, a, as again, a danger to unity. Uh, causes uh, that cause uh, us to, to, to uh, work towards disunity, failing to accept one another. And, and tonight it's failing to build one another up. Uh, that's the issue. Now, a, as we've been working our way through the text, uh, we've come to realize that we're dealing here really with the issues of, uh, of attitude, our attitudes as Christians in the body of Christ uh, in the church. We're dealing with attitudes and specifically addressing those uh, issues that are somewhat, quote-unquote, gray areas. Uh, those things that are not spoken of uh, in the Bible as being strictly forbidden uh, or not expressly permitted. Uh, those areas that we as Christians may differ uh, and see things differently. Uh, those areas that one's own matter of opinion is fine as long as we hold on to the opinion ourselves and do not try to wrongly impose uh, those ideas of ours uh, upon someone else. And we've come to understand within the body of Christ, there's basically two types of people, right? There's those who are weak in the faith and those who are strong in the faith. And for those who are weak in the faith, uh, uh, are, uh, those who are weak in the faith are, are struggling for a variety of different reasons in, in working out the implications of their position in Christ and the practical application of truth in their lives. Someone who's weak tends to be fearful and, and somewhat more legalistic, holding on to certain aspects of their past life or perhaps wrongly believing that doing certain things and not doing other things provides them better standing before God. Therefore, those who are weak in faith often miss the joy and the freedom that they have in Christ. And in its place, uh, in the place of joy, they uh, insert anxiousness uh, or a set of rules and regulations uh, to live by. Now, those on the other hand, those that are <clears throat> strong in the faith, they tend to be more liberated. They, liberated. they tend to, to push the edge of what is proper and, uh, and without actually crossing over the line into sinning. Somebody who's strong happens uh, at times looks upon the weaker brother and sadly looks at him in judgment, uh, perhaps even contempt uh, for his position. And again, those who are weak tend to doubt whether or not the stronger brother, the more liberated brother, really can properly serve Christ in an effective manner because they see the lives of those people as far too undisciplined. So the whole purpose of Paul addressing this issue here is to understand the importance, again, of unity in the body of Christ and to realize that in every congregation you have these two kinds of positions present. 
And these positions, uh, because they're such diverse uh, in the uh, understanding of things, there's a very strong possibility of disrupting the unity if both are not careful in regarding how they act towards each other, how they treat each other, how they deal with those areas that are doubtful things. Uh, those areas that are doubtful things have the ability and the possibility uh, of causing division because we have differing opinions on those kind of things. Now, last week we saw the command of Scripture starting in verse 1 here of chapter 14 is where Paul says that the the strong in faith are personally to willingly, uh, unreservedly accept uh, the weaker brother in faith. To welcome him uh, without arguing or quarreling over or passing judgment uh, upon his opinion on doubtful things or disputable matters depending on what version you have. Uh, Again, uh, verse uh, 1 of uh, chapter 14. Now accept the one who is weak in faith but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. So again, we worked our way through <clears throat> the, the first 12 verses. I, I won't read all of it, but we worked our way through the first 12 verses, and we saw four reasons why the, the strong is to accept the weak. Paul lays out here in the text four reasons why uh, the, the, the strong are not to uh, uh, pass uh, judgment, or, 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 but rather are to accept the one who is weak in faith into the body of of Christ. Reason number one, I'll just give you the headings. Reason number one to accept the weaker brother in faith in, in the fellowship of Christ is because God's already accepted them. God's already accepted them. So if God's accepted them into the fellowship, into his family, the body of Christ, then we have no right to reject them. We have no right to make up man-made restrictions, man-made rules <clears throat> based upon our personal preferences, our prejudices, or, or even convictions that go beyond the word of God. A very uh, familiar, perhaps, and safe uh, statement is we, we can't make law where there's no law, right? We, we just have to read what the Bible says. So, so we can't make man-made, man-made restrictions based on personal preferences and, and, or, or go beyond what the Word of God says, because that's really nothing more than arrogance. It's nothing more than arrogance, nothing more than sin on our part. If we fail to accept those in the body of Christ whom God himself has already accepted into the fellowship. Now, the second reason Paul says that we are to accept the weaker brother in faith is the Lord himself is the one who sustains and supports each believer. The Lord himself sustains and supports and upholds each believer. So we're not the judge of the servant of another. We're not the judge of the servant of another. We're we're nothing more than all of us in the body of Christ, weak or strong, nothing more than servants of the the most high God. We're all slaves of Christ. And and to our own master, we're each going to give an account of our life. So our personal assessment of each other really is irrelevant. Our personal assessment of each other is really irrelevant. We don't stand or fall based upon how we think of each other, but we stand or fall based on what the Lord says is true about us, how he examines our life and realize that God, again, if we're in the body of Christ, he's the one that's going to make us able to stand. So in essence, none of us are going to fall before him if you're truly saved because he's the one who always upholds us. He's the one who empowers us. He's the one who makes sure that each one of us, whether we're weak or strong in faith, uh, lives our life in a manner that is pleasing before him. The third reason that Paul said we're to accept the weaker in faith, the weak uh, in faith in the body of Christ, is that Jesus is the sovereign Lord over each man's life. Jesus is the sovereign Lord over each man's life. So whether we feel compelled to observe one day or not observe a day, or whether we feel compelled to eat or not eat, and was in the context of the story or a certain kind of food, is something that we have to be convinced of in our own minds before God. And whatever we do, observing or not observing, eating or not eating, everything we do is for Jesus Christ as the sovereign Lord of our life. Therefore, everything we do must be, here it is, done for Him. Right? Everything must be done for Him. Everything we do must be done for the Lord. That's the important phrase, for the Lord. Whether we eat or drink or observe a day or don't observe a day, whether we live or die, whatever we do, if our perspective is correct, if our priority is in order, everything we do as those who belong to Christ, as He's the sovereign Lord, everything we do will be for the Lord, for the express purpose of honoring Him, for the express purpose of giving Him thanks. So as believers in Christ, as Christians, we're slaves. Again, we're slaves of the Most High God. We don't have any rights. We don't have any preferences. But we should all be about serving Him, serving our Master, living for Him, dying for Him, for Him who saved our soul. Because we belong to Him, we've been purchased by Him. So everything we do must be with a desire to please Him, to praise Him, to glorify Him for His goodness, His mercy as it's the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ 
that is the purchase price for our freedom from sin. It's the blood of Christ that is the the price of our redemption, the price that set us free from from sin and its eternal penalty, from the the guilt and shame uh, of our sin in time. The truth is Jesus Christ bled and died for us. Therefore, it is biblical and reasonable that we should live for him. It's biblical and reasonable that we should live for him. For those who push push forth an agenda that I would call easy believism that says you can have all the rights to the king and all the rights to the kingdom without any responsibility to the king is is biblically incorrect. Now, that's not a biblical view. have responsibilities to the king, responsibilities in his kingdom. And, and the fourth and final reason that we are to accept the weak in faith and uh, really the, the reason for both strong and weak to accept and love each other and not pass judgment on each other is that God alone is the judge. God alone is the judge of all believers. Weak or strong, uh, eating or not eating, observing one day, not observing uh, a day, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account for our life. We're all going to give an account of ourselves to God for our lives in the way that we have lived them. Again, it's not, a, not a, an accounting of condemnation because we're no, there's no condemnation in Christ, but we're just going to give an account for life. So we have to realize, again, every one of us are accountable to God. And because every one of us are accountable to God, we'd all be much better off if we spent our time not judging each other in the congregation, but we'd all be much better off if we just uh, would stop and evaluate our own lives uh, to make sure that our own lives are right, that we are on an individual level ready to stand before God, that we are ready to give an account of our life in a manner that's pleasing, that we might not be ashamed when we stand and give uh, an account before uh, the judgment seat so that we would not suffer loss of reward. So we'd all be so much better off and so much further along if we just realized that everybody in the body of Christ, uh, uh, again, uh, the, the central issue is uh, 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 in determining whether or not we're saved or not saved, whether or not we're Christians, uh, it, it's, uh, uh, it's the person of Jesus Christ, how we deal with the person of Jesus Christ. We'd be so much better off if we just realized that and so much better off if we just evaluated our own life. And then so much better off if we realize there's certain issues in the body of Christ that people tend to raise to the level of Christian orthodoxy, to the Christian of, uh, <clears throat> to the level of the, the gospel, if you will, that are just not that level. Again, the different, fra- different um, uh, versions, depending on what you have, Paul, Paul says disputable matters, uh, matters of opinion, uh, doubtful things. And I said at the top, I think I said gray, gray areas, and I think that's appropriate. All those words aren't. For instance, smoking. Drinking. Going to movies. I debated whether to put this one in here because <clears throat> I don't know if that's a problem for anybody anymore, but I'll put it in there anyway just for us old guys. So, some people see these issues and raise these issues to, to, to the level in the church or the level of gospel orthodoxy. <clears throat> they put these issues forward as a litmus test, if you will. Uh, so, uh, And if you don't believe exactly how they believe on these issues or how they think uh, uh, on these issues, then they would in- insinuate that you're not saved. Uh, am I right? I mean, am I just an old guy? I don't know ever comes across and be like that. Th- that's reality, but that's not biblically true. That's not true biblically. Uh, turn over to 1 Corinthians uh, 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. <clears throat> it's a very helpful verse, I think, uh, when discussing, again, these kind of disputable matters. Matters of opinion, doubtful things, gray areas. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 23. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So in Christ, we have certain freedoms, certain liberties. Now, Paul's not saying here in, in this text we can... We can do anything, absolutely anything we want to do when he says all things are lawful. He's just saying, look, if something is not expressly forbidden in the Scripture, then we have liberty in this issue in Christ. However, there are limitations on our liberty. Certainly, we're not free to engage in those kind of activities that are self-destructive. We're not free to engage in those kind of activities that cause harm to other people and all, or other believers. I'll talk about that in a moment. For example, when you come to the issue of tobacco, there's certainly nothing inherently evil with tobacco. 
So you can't say don't smoke because smoking is evil. Smoking is a sin. That's not true biblically. The problem with tobacco comes when it dominates your life. Uh, When you find yourself physically addicted to it. When it leads to your physical illness and your physical destruction. Then the use of tobacco becomes a problem in your life or has become a problem in your life. But there's nothing in the scripture that specifically says the use of tobacco is uh, is, uh, uh, not permissible or again that it's a sin. Therefore, it's lawful, but it's probably not profitable or, again, depending on your translation, expedient or or edifying. Since there's so many kind of uh, so many negative secondary issues associated with the use of tobacco. So it's probably not the best thing, probably not the smartest thing to engage in a lifelong uh, habitual use of, of smoking or using tobacco in whatever form you choose to use it in. And there's a variety of different forms obviously. But on the other hand, using tobacco is not a litmus test for orthodoxy. So if you're a non-tobacco user, you can't say that someone in the body who uses tobacco is not a Christian. You can't go that far. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that I've met who have kind of insinuated that if they haven't outright said it. But that's again not true biblically. Again, it might not be in your best interest. It might not be in your best uh, health-wise for your body. But smoking cigarettes has nothing to do with your eternal soul. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven is not determined by whether you smoke or not. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven is determined by how you deal with the person of Jesus Christ. If you come to him by faith alone. right? By faith alone, through grace alone, the person of Jesus Christ alone, trusting him alone, period, plus or minus, nothing, period, exclamation mark. Same thing is true when you come to the issue of alcohol. There's nothing in the Bible that strictly forbids the use of alcohol, so you can't say that alcohol is inherently evil. Again, that also is not true biblically. The problem with alcohol, just like many things in life, is abuse. Now, the Bible does speak to the issue of not being drunk with wine. The Bible speaks to the issue of not not being drunk or under the control of any substance such as alcohol or any other uh, drug or controlling substance rather than being under the control uh, of the person of the Holy Spirit. So the Bible doesn't speak to the issue uh, of alcohol being inherently evil. It does speak to the issue of not being intoxicated with wine. On the other hand, the Bible also says uh, wine makes the heart glad. Psalm 104 verse 15. So again, if 1 Corinthians 10.23 says all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable, all things are lawful, but not all things edify, then we have to evaluate what we're involved with and then ask ourselves why we choose to be involved with that. That's really the issue. Why do we choose to be involved with whatever we're involved with? Now, I don't particularly like to give myself as an illustration, but I think it might be helpful, this illustration, but... Uh, the truth is, sad truth, whatever. The, the truth is, before I came to Christ, many years ago, I used to like to drink beer. And Christ saved me, and guess what? I still like to drink beer. I mean, that's just reality. And as a very young believer, I saw it as a liberty that was something not strictly forbidden for me in, in the Bible. So as my faith grew, and, and I grew in my maturity, I, I came to see it as a liberty that I personally would choose to set aside for the sake of others, for the sake of other brothers and sisters in the Lord who might have a problem with it, or even for the sake of unbelievers who might in their mind see an inconsistency with someone who drinks beer claiming to be a follower of Christ. I remember specifically my parents who were not believers making a comment of how strange it was for them to see a man who read the Bible drink a beer. So I had to deal with this issue in my own life way, way a long time ago. I had to work through my mind uh, the issue of whether or not I wanted to give someone who didn't know the Savior the idea that the servants of God were free to drink just like the unbeliever. And then I started thinking about the fact that so many people in our culture are addicted to alcohol. And again, while the issue had never arisen to that level in my own life, uh, again, the reality is that many people have difficulty with use of alcohol. The reality is it has uh, ruined many people's lives, many families' lives. And sometimes it just starts with one drink and that takes them down a long journey that they can't recover from or at least it's very difficult for them to recover from. 
So then I had to ask myself, do I want to associate with an activity like this that causes so much heartache and grief? Do I as a believer want to associate Christ with this? And when I started factoring in uh, the number of people who die every year by drunk drivers and all of that, uh, also that on my mind, I personally decided that for me, I, I no longer uh, drink alcohol in any fashion. I, 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 I would see it as a liberty that I would choose to intentionally give up for the betterment of my testimony to others. Now, again, there's people who may not agree with that position on that issue, and that's a freedom that I think you can. You can freely disagree with me because, again, there's no prohibition except for being drunk with wine, etc., and so forth. And some people see it as a liberty that they want to enjoy as Christians, and I can't speak against that. I know that some people perhaps like to have a, a wine or a glass of wine or a beer with dinner. And, and, and that's exactly the issue that I'm talking about. It's one of those gray areas. It's one of those, those uh, uh, areas in life that are disputable things on how do you deal with it. And not only how do you deal with it, but the, how do you deal with somebody else in the body of Christ that has a differing opinion of you on that issue. That's really the ultimate issue. And so just because I've chosen not to drink alcohol in any form, I can't say to those who drink uh, alcohol that they're weaker or, or less spiritual. I certainly can't say that those who choose to have a glass of wine are putting their eternal soul in danger because that's just not true biblically. And again, part of this has to do with culture. Again, here in the United States, we look at alcohol in one fashion, but you go to Europe and it's seen as a completely in a completely different fashion. So the standard is the Bible, not our personal preferences, not our culture. But how does the Bible tend to deal with these issues? Uh, and that's really the ultimate issue. I mean, for example, you go to Russia and, and you have um, communion. It's a common cup and it's filled with wine. Now I've had to hit a couple of the guys I've taken with me to Russia and say, no, you can only have one sip of the wine, not three or four right? But, but that's the reality. It's just a different culture. They look at it different. So again, the standard is the Bible. And more than that, it's the standard of how the issue is how do we deal with each other in the body of Christ to maintain the unity that we have differing opinions on a variety of gray area uh, uh, issues. Because entrance into the kingdom of heaven is not determ- determined by whether you drink alcohol or not. It's not determined by whether you smoke a cigarette or smoke a cigar or, or not. Interest into the kingdom of heaven is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the person of Jesus Christ alone, plus or minus nothing, period, exclamation mark. It has to do with the person of Jesus Christ. How about another category? Uh, Again, I just said, I don't know about the issue of movies anymore, but TV, internet. There's nothing inherently wrong uh, or evil in those things. I I think we probably all tend to agree that the contents of most, most of what you see in this culture, excuse me, on visual media is probably not all that good. The contents of movies and TV and streaming internet, for the most part, are, are filled with nothing more than visual displays of the sins that Christ died for. On the other hand, it has to be acknowledged that there is some content in those mediums uh, that are helpful, educational, uplifting, and even edifying. Uh, there's a, a, a new movie out <coughs> about the whole um, issue with Grace Church on how they dealt with the whole COVID matter. I can't even remember what it's called at the moment. Um, anybody? The Essential Church. That's tremendous. If you've not seen it, you should look. You should watch it. Oh, but it's on a visual media, you know. And so you just can't say, "Look, all visual media is evil." It's just not true. Uh, um, it's and again, if you use it, you can't say, "Well, then you obviously you're not saved." That's also not true. You can't go there biblically. So again, the issue, like all these other issues, visual media, whatever it is, you have to evaluate it wisely. You have to be very much on guard, of course, uh, uh, to monitor what you see and what you watch. Now, I was just telling somebody the other day that I was with, uh, I think we always need to remember, remind ourselves that there's an unseen person who's always in the room with us. Because <laughs> you're never alone. Whatever you allow in your eyes, for your eyes to see, the Holy Spirit's seeing that with you. He's right next to you. So we have to watch those kind of things. And then I think on top of that issue specifically, uh, when you start to factor in the amount of time uh, that people deal with uh, visual media, movies, TV, internet, video games, time on your cell phone, 
And then I'm going to throw this one out there because this is going to get everybody, right? Podcasts. <laughs> Ooh. How much time do you listen to podcasts? And what do you listen to on the podcast? I, I said this to our small group a week or so. Well, I'm going to say this because it's being recorded. But, uh, does it? I'll just say it like this. Five minutes into eternity, do you think it matters one whit? Five seconds into eternity, you think it matters one whit who in the world's the president of this country before you've stepped into eternity? I guarantee you not. We've got to make sure that we're watching what we do with our time. How much time do we spend on our cell phones? Because all these kind of media really kind of drive us to, to encapsulate us and capture our attention. So again, we have, to, we have to ask ourselves, why is it we're doing what we're doing, and is this helping me in my walk with the Lord? Or is this hindering me in my walk with the Lord? Because again, some of these visual media, some of these audio media things are very helpful. Is this thing helping me or hindering me? Is it keeping me away from God? Keeping me away from studying the Bible? Keeping me away from being with God's people? Uh, and again, I see so many people uh, on their little, little phone and there's like three people on a couch and nobody's talking to anybody and they're just on their phone. It's like that's keeping you from the fellowship that God desires for you to have. So is this helping you or hurting you? Again, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. So we want to make sure we stay away from those things that, that tear us down. And, and we need to stay away. We must stay away from those things that tear down uh, uh, or can possibly tear down other believers, especially those who are weak in faith. We want to avoid those things that can control us. And again, avoid those things that can uh, ultimately destroy us or destroy our effectiveness or our witness for God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, he says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So again, we've got to be careful with who or what we serve. We're going to need to be careful with why we're involved. And again, whatever activity is, is uh, whether we are indeed doing something for the Lord or if we're doing something that appeals just to my flesh. Am I in control of it, whatever it is, or is it in control of me? That's really the, the factor, the issue, the dominating factor. And again, we want to remind ourselves of the general principle here in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Now, on the other side of this, you've got to make sure that, that we don't raise, again, everything to the level of orthodoxy, gospel orthodoxy, uh, again, for entrance into the, into the kingdom of heaven, uh, again, entrance into the kingdom of heaven is not based on any of those kind of things. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven is based upon whether uh, or not, or not even based upon whether or not we agree or disagree on these variety of issues. Uh, again, it's based on the person of Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith in the person of Jesus Christ. That's it, period. Plus nothing. Plus or minus nothing. That, that's just vitally important. So I think we just have to be careful here in a variety of different areas uh, and when we start judging our brothers or sisters in Christ over what they're doing or what they're not doing. And, and again, sometimes we judge people over what they're not doing. Uh, and and uh, we make them, uh, makes them according to our opinion, our own way of thinking, we see them not as Christian as they should be, less than a Christian. And again, when we start evaluating people, uh, we are uh, uh, in a great error. And when we start evaluating people, again, on what they do and what they don't do, we're really denying the doctrine of justification by faith alone. We're really denying the doctrine of justification by faith alone, which is something we don't want to do. So we've got to make sure that we don't unconsciously fall back into a position of justification by works. You're only in the club if you do these things according to the way I think you should do those things. We've got to be careful there. We have to be consistent, again, the working out of our doctrine. And again, not raise uh, disputable matters or secondary issues to the position of the primary and not to uh, issues of central to that which is central to orthodoxy. Because that's just nothing more than sheer legalism and nothing more than error. And also to protect the, the unity of the body and to live together in an atmosphere of grace, we need to remember how very merciful that God has been to us in the body of Christ. We all need to recall into our minds the fact that we all, each one of us, uh, every one of us is very much imperfect. We're all still growing in grace. And every one of us has areas of growth. Every one of us has areas that, that we don't see well, uh, that we lack understanding in, uh, areas that we are personally blind to. Uh, it, it's very easy for me to see your blind spots. It's impossible for me to see my own blind spots. That's just kind of the nature of the beast. Uh, 
So it makes no, ser- makes no sense that we would contem- condemn another brother and sister in Christ for their viewpoints or their actions when we realize that we at our very best are not where we should be. We at our very best are not still where we should be. So we all have to be walking in humility in the body of Christ. We've got to strive to work together uh, at, at maintaining unity, uh, especially if we are part of what we would consider the strong in faith. Uh, understanding our faith and our understanding of truth is something that is uh, that which continues to grow. And even us who consider ourselves strong in the faith, we, we've not arrived yet. So we've got to allow for maturity to take place in, in the life of another brother and sister. Because really the truth is faith works on a continuum. Christ is going to continue to help us. He's going to continue to grow us. He's going to continue to help us grow in our knowledge and truth and how we deal with others. And he's going to help those in the body of Christ that we tend to have a difficult time with, help them grow also. Me personally, when I'm interacting with somebody, all I ever want to see is just a desire to do the right thing. I'm not looking for perfection because I don't own perfection myself. Just a desire to go in the right direction is all I'm ever looking for. And again, nowhere, no matter where we find ourselves on the continuum of our understanding, there's always issues we need to grow in grace. All of us need to grow in the knowledge of truth. All of us need to understand, uh, grow in our understanding of and our relationship with uh, our, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, none of us has arrived. None of us has perfect knowledge. None of us has perfect theology. Therefore, what we need together in the body of Christ is more grace, a whole lot more love, mixed in with a tremendous amount of mercy. Right? We need more grace, a whole lot of love, mixed in with a tremendous amount of mercy. Now again, remember back in chapter uh, 12, chapter 12, uh, uh, verse 10, uh, Paul says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And that'd go a long way. Right, that'd go a long way to maintain the unity in the body of Christ. And again, before we get into the text proper, uh, I, I think it would be helpful for us just to stop and realize uh, that God in Christ, again, has been so very merciful to us. And then it would be helpful to realize or to help maintain unity in the body of Christ, to protect the church in this area of unity. If, again, we just remembered what Paul just said, be devoted to one another. What's the next two words, three words? In brotherly love. Right? And, and give preference to one another. So again, we're part of the body of Christ. If we're saved, it's, we're saved because God has accepted us and He's placed us into His family. And each one of us are brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're in right relationship with our family, then we're not going to intentionally uh, despise somebody else in our family. If we're in right relationship with the family, we're going to intentionally not neglect our own family. Right? And no one who's in right relationship with his family is going to be intentionally indifferent to those who are in his own family. Again, if they're, even if, if they're not quite as far along as they are, as we are in our understanding of truth. So those who are strong look to the weak brother and they accept them into the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, with God our Father watching over us all and how we deal with each other. So that really should motivate us how we, uh, and how we live together, how we encourage each other. And, and it really should challenge us to really look out and take care for each other uh, in the body of Christ, to be kind to each other, especially uh, to the weaker brother in the faith. It should motivate us uh, as those who consider ourselves strong to show much mercy to the weaker brother. Because what we have before us, really starting here in verse uh, 13 of Romans 14, is really the practical outworking of that doctrine of Christian brotherly love. That's what it looks like. This is what Christian brotherly love looks like in the church. So what does brotherly love look like in the church, especially when we disagree on certain issues? What does brotherly love how does, uh, what does brotherly love act like uh, in the church? So starting here in these verses, uh, uh, the next 11 verses from 13 down to 23, Paul's going to put forth a number of principles uh, to help us understand how to maintain unity in the body of Christ and how to help build up each other in, in, our, in our faith. And the first thing that Paul says, uh, if you're going to be concerned about your brother and sister in Christ, then you want to build them up. Right? And if Paul says, oh, look, if you want to build them up, then you're going to have to make a decision. Here's the decision. You're going to have to make sure that you don't cause your brother to stumble. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. 
Now, therefore, kind of refers back to the things he's already spoken about, verses uh, uh, 1 through 12. Those who are uh, uh, strong, we're, we're to accept the weak, the one who's weak in faith. Because God's already accepted them. We're to accept them because God supports and sustains them. We're to accept them because God is sovereign Lord over each uh, believer's life. And we're to accept them because we're all going to stand and give an account uh, to God for our lives. Because He alone is the judge of all believers. Again, therefore, let not let us not judge one another anymore. Uh, the weak are not to stand in judgment of the strong, and the strong are not to stand in judgment of the weak. The weak cannot judge the strong, nor the strong can nor can the strong show contempt for those who are weak or lack of uh, lack in faith. So again, the bottom line, if you wanted to write it down in just one phrase, stop judging each other. All right? Stop judging each other. Stop passing judgment on each other. That's not our position. That's not our job in the body of Christ. We, we're, not the God, we're not the judge of the universe. God is. We're not the judge of the universe. God is. He doesn't need our help. Therefore, it really takes us back uh, to consider, I think, the sovereignty of God over the affairs of men. And again, those who are in the body of Christ. The sovereignty of God, He's the one who determines whom He's going to bring into His fellowship, into His family. He's the one who receives the weak and the strong uh, into His family. He, he's the one who upholds the weak and the strong in His family. He, he's the sovereign Lord over all those people, all their lives, the weak and the strong in His family. He's the final judge of everybody in His family. And so when we start judging others in the family of God, we need to stop and ask ourselves, who in the world do we think we are? Because we don't know all the circumstances of another person's life. We don't know their motivations. We, we can see outward uh, um, signs, and perhaps we're right in our evaluation, but perhaps we're wrong. When we start judging what's going on, maybe we don't know everything we should know. So a lot of the times we end up wrongly judging people and we criticize them unfairly. For example, the story goes like this of John Wesley. You're familiar with him, right? The great uh, evangelist. He once told a man that he had little respect for him. And he considered him to be a miser and covetous because he only contributed a small amount of work, money to the work of charity. And Wesley openly criticized him for it. And it was only after Wesley's open criticism that the man went to Wesley in private, which Wesley should have done first. But this man who's being criticized by Wesley goes to Wesley in private and, and informs him of the fact that before he came to faith in Christ, he used to run up many bills. But now he was skimping and, and he had almost nothing for himself. He wanted to make sure now that he's come to faith in Christ, he wanted to make sure that he paid off all of his creditors first one by one as fast as he could so that he could show, this man could show that the grace of God would change a man's heart, even a man like him who was once dishonest as he was. So the man told Wesley that he'd been living for a very long time on nothing except parsnips and water. Now I pause for a moment to say that if you've ever eaten a parsnip, you understand how much this man was giving up. Because there was a time in our life when I was a kid we didn't have much money, and we ate a ton of parsnips. And you might as well eat dirt, right? <laughs> and I remember I said that to one to our friends from England one time. They said, oh, no, it's just wonderful. Well, I never ate a wonderful parsnip, right? <laughs> if I never see another one, right? So here's a guy. He doesn't know the whole story. He said, look, I'm just eating nothing but parsnips and water. Because he's trying to pay down his bill as fast as he can. Because he's trying to, trying to honor Christ in his life. And Wesley didn't know that. Wesley doesn't understand the situation. He doesn't understand the, the circumstances of the man's life. So he openly criticizes him, just like we so often do. And when Wesley understood the situation, he apologized. He asked, his, asked for forgiveness. But by that time, he's already done what? Caused division. He's already besmirched this man's character uh, publicly. And Wesley has no business judging this man. He's not the judge of all people. He has no business judging this man, especially before he knows all the facts of the situation. But again, Wesley's so much just like us. Quick to rush to judgment. And again, this man's uh, judgment, Wesley's uh, judgment of this man was negative, of his brother in Christ, rather than positive, failing to think the best of him. And again, it's just like we sadly so often do with us. We tend to 
think the worst of people rather than think the best of people. So again, Wesley's judgment on this man is completely wrong. Just like our judgment on others is often completely wrong because we don't have the facts. We don't have all the facts. We're not the sovereign in the room. So again, the statement, verse 13, therefore let us not judge one another anymore, comes really as a, 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 a tremendous principle, but it really comes in an, as an aorist imperative. That, that just means it's a, it's a mood of command. It's not an option for the believer. It's not a suggestion. It's a command of Scripture. It's a command of God in the body of Christ to stop judging one another. We're to, we're to stop bringing judgment on God's people. That's his responsibility. A judgment is the exclusive prerogative of God himself. And so rather than bringing judgment, we are make a determined uh, decision, a determined effort to do something and to not do something and, and, and to do it now. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Let us not judge one another anymore, anymore, but rather determine this. Now, the word judge and the word determine are the same word in the Greek. It's krino. So it's a play on words in the Greek that doesn't work out very well in the English. If you have uh, the, the King James, it says, let us not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge ra- this rather, not to put uh, a stumbling block or an uh, occasion to fall in his brother's way. So again, the first time the word judge is used, it's uh, Paul saying to stop judging or condemning the other people. And the second time the word judge is used, he's telling uh, to, to judge ourselves and to make a determined decision using the best judgment we can, determined to make up our minds to decide to resolve that we're never going to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in another brother's way. It's actually the same word that uh, Paul uses in that famous statement over in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and crucified. So Paul is making a, uh, just as Paul makes that determined decision to preach Christ and put him forth as crucified uh, uh, to, the, to the Corinthians, he's saying here in effect that you who are so anxious to express your opinion, you who are so anxious to judge others, to come to a determined judgment, you need to stop judging each other and determine with great resolve that the best way to help this brother is to make a solemn decision never to put anything in your brother's way that might hinder him in his spiritual growth or his spiritual walk. So the determined decision that we're to make is to stop judging another brother and sister that we're having a difficult time with because we realize that they are not uh, our enemies and they're not accountable uh, to us, they're accountable to God. In fact, they're part of the body of Christ and they're brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're to make a determined decision, an effort to never say or do anything that would cause them any kind of harm in any kind of fashion on a spiritual uh, 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 level. We're not to hinder them uh, spiritually. And again, the, Paul uses two words here in this uh, phrase to help us understand that it's not sufficient just for us to consider us what, what's right for us. But he uses two words that says, look, we have a responsibility to consider what is helpful for another brother. We have a responsibility to consider our actions and our words, uh, realizing that they may indeed have an effect on our brother or sister in Christ. So he says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Now, the word obstacle carries the idea of figuratively or literally stumbling over something. So, so figuratively here it is used to indicate and describe something which, uh, which the, the soul would stumble over, uh, something that would cause a brother uh, to stumble into sin. Uh, sometimes the, uh, the word is used uh, even uh, to translate it as a barrier or a hindrance or a roadblock, meaning that we must not do anything that would cause the brother to be blocked or hindered in his spiritual growth or spiritual maturity. And then the word a stumbling block comes from a, a Greek word that denotes the piece of wood that, was, uh, that, was, uh, that kept open the trap uh, for an animal. You're familiar with the word. It's the Greek word scandalon. And it was literally that uh, movable part of the trap on which the bait was uh, laid, uh, which when was touched by the animal caused the trap to come and close down on the animal. So figuratively, Paul's using it here as a, 
uh, any person or anything that, that draws a brother into error or into sin, anything that would trap them. Again, it's somewhat of a picture of sin in the sense that just as bait looks good for the animal, sometimes sin looks alluring for the weaker brother. But when touched, when the scandal on is touched, the trap comes down, the weaker brother becomes trapped. Right? He, he's captured just like the unsuspecting prey is captured. So again, we're to stop judging, and then we're to make a determined decision never to put any kind of stumbling block or hindrance or obstacle in another brother's way that might cause him to stumble, that might cause him to fall back into a pattern of sin. So Paul gives that same kind of warning over in 1 Corinthians 8 9 uh, when he says to the strong, he says, take care lest your liberty or this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So it's not all about us. It's about us in the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. How do we care for them? So we have to very carefully consider these kind of issues. Again, not just considering our own opinions, not just considering ourselves, uh, but considering others in the body. So we have a responsibility to remember our brothers and sisters for whom Christ died. We have a responsibility to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a responsibility to give preference uh, to each other, to determine in our hearts and minds to be sensitive to the weak uh, among us and do that at all costs. Uh, again, avoiding doing anything that might, be, uh, um, that might be permissible, but on the other hand might cause a weaker brother uh, 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 to stumble on a spiritual level. And again, the issue of alcohol comes to my mind. We may have freedom in Christ to drink alcohol if we choose, but it might be very difficult for a brother who's just come out or just come to faith in Christ and perhaps has come out of a background of alcoholism. To see us as an older brother in Christ, a freely drinking alcohol might be something that something that once bound him in life and caused him great harm for a uh, for a long period of time in his life. It might be difficult for that brother. Or it might be difficult for a family uh, who has endured a, uh, a life with an alcoholic. It might be a difficult situation for them. Again, somebody who's come out of a background of alcoholism who's just come to faith in Christ or family members have just come to faith in Christ to understand the liberty that you rightly have uh, to use alcohol. And perhaps, again, they've struggled. Or they've been under the burden of having a mother or father or wife be controlled by these kind of substance because it's negatively affected their life together. This is one of those areas that I think we have to have, we may have liberty in, but it has to be one of those areas that we exercise great wisdom in. It's a wisdom issue. Great wisdom and great grace as we may choose to set aside our liberty for the sake of the weaker brother. Now again, we may have differing opinions on this because I've already explained that. But over all these kinds of areas. If we start with ourselves first, we may be violating the principle of looking out and not putting a stumbling block in the in, in way of the, the brother or the sister in front of us. So we have to think about others in the body of Christ to make sure that we're not doing something unwittingly that is detrimental to the unity in the body of Christ. Because our love for the brethren has to have a higher responsibility than our own liberty. Our love for the others in the body of Christ has to raise to a different level of what we think, even in our own minds, what we're free to do in Christ. Love towards our brothers and sisters in Christ is much more important than our opinions. Love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, again, is even more important than what is biblically correct if what we are doing or not doing or whatever the issue might be causes a, 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 a brother or sister that's weaker in the faith to stumble. So again, it's a wisdom issue. This issue, whatever the issue is, it's a wisdom issue. How do we live in unity? Why are we doing what we're doing? Or why are we not doing what we're not doing? Because Christ said, how is the world going to identify us that we're truly followers of him? He said, we'll know, <clears throat> the world will know that we belong to him if we do what? Have love for one another. So, so love really has to be the, viewing, the, the ruling and the overriding consideration of the church. Because it's the overriding concern that Christ has uh, for his body uh, as the savior of his body. So if we're going to build one another up, we have to make determined decisions to not judge. 
we have to make sure that we're not doing anything that causes our brother and sister to stumble because we're caused, called to walk in love. Making sure that we never do anything that might hurt or, or cause uh, discouragement in, in the life of somebody else on a spiritual level. Now, <clears throat> I think I'm going to stop there. I've got more in my text, but I, I went so long this morning, and you were so gracious to me. Nobody's thrown anything at me. Um, <laughs> or yelled or anything. I know I went long this morning, but just for you who are doing the over and under thing, I gotcha. You all thought I was going to go more in Leviticus, and uh, I'm stopping, and we're going to Hebrews next week, Lord willing. All right? So I'm going to stop there and just say, look, we just need to really think about these things. We have a, a great fellowship here. There's not a lot of disunity, but these are the things that cause disunity. When we start disagreeing on things we have differing opinions on, so again, we need to treat each other with love, with a tremendous amount of grace. We need to pray that God gives us wisdom how we deal with a variety of different issues. But the fundamental issue is we all need to be doing whatever we're doing for the Lord because the Lord really is the issue. And then loving each other in the body of Christ, weak and strong, and then just trying to walk humbly with each other, realizing we've not all uh, arrived, right? We're still all growing in grace, growing in the knowledge of truth. And, and again, <clears throat> Uh, we don't come, our standing before God's not based on what we do or what we don't do. It's all based on what we do as a person of, of Jesus Christ. All right? <clears throat> so I determined this afternoon I was going to stop there and not go any further. Um, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we are thankful for our time together here in your word. And thankful again for this reminder just to be careful uh, of how we treat each other. Uh, to protect this unity that you have won for us in Christ to make sure that we're building up one another, making determined decisions uh, to stop judging, making determined decisions not to do anything that would cause a weaker brother or sister to stumble, uh, but making determined decisions to walk in love. So give us that wisdom. We thank you for the grace that you have given to us and the joy that we enjoy in this fellowship and the sweetness of our union with uh, you and with each other. And just pray, Lord, that you would... um, watch over and maintain that unity. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.